welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. All right, we are, uh, we finished our Empowered series and we're starting a a four-week vision series, uh, just letting you know who we are as a community. So it's called Garden Church. There are four main anchors that we want to talk through today of what we are about and who we are as a community. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with one of those anchors today. But before, I just wanted to say, um, we as a community, I mentioned this last week in announcements, we have a theological vision. And I think it's really important right now in this day and age to make sure we communicate that our theological vision comes from and is uh, formed by the scriptures. And when we read the scriptures, what we have organized our community around is that we've, we've built a theological reflection based on who God is, what his desires and hopes are for humanity and all of creation. And in response to our reflection and vision of, uh, of God and his desires, we have communicated our, our, our vision as a church as um, on earth as it is in heaven. We, we see that God's desire for humanity and creation is to bring heaven or the kingdom of God um, here and now. And so we organize our resources as a local church around this theological mission or vision. Does that make sense? So you hear, you see these things on the website, you see branding like in Long Beach or in Seal Beach or in Orange County, in LA County, as it is in heaven. That is a deeply uh, uh, intentional theological commitment to the heart and desire of God according to scriptures as he has revealed it to us. This sounds, it's gonna be heady. So just I just really want you to see that as a community, We're trying to eliminate all of the distractions that are presented to us by culture and by Christian culture. So we have focus on the main and the plain, you could say, as one great theologian once said. That our heart and intention is to aim all of our energies, purpose, people, around the same vision that God has. Because what, what tends to happen is we get distracted by human traditions. I was reading today in Mark in my devotion about how it's, it, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were following human tradition, not the commands of God. And it reminded me, I was reflecting on what, how the Pharisees were upset with the disciples of Jesus because they weren't following the oral tradition written by the Pharisees. They were they, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't validate some of these things that got in the way of the commands of God. And Jesus confronts the hypocrisy. And I was reminded of that today in ways that years ago when Francis Chan first came to our church, he had this conversation with our leadership team and he said, hey, what are the expectations that the community has of what it means to be church? And we wrote down this long list. It's all the things we get emails from from you about, not you, but other people. Like the things like, well, like, uh, you know, they wrote, we, what, what is it, what are the expectations we carry in here as people who have been to churches before have some kind of mindset or expectation of church? And for example, things on the list were like coffee, 35-minute sermon that's funny, 
and makes me think not too difficult to process. These are all things we, I, I'm going off the top of my head, like uh, a good worship, a place to put my kids, parking, air conditioning, cold brew in the summer. We wrote down all of the lists, right? But it, got, but it goes deep, like a women's ministry, a men's ministry, a, a seniors ministries, a, a mops, like just the things, the list gets on and on and on and on and on. And then Francis asked us, he's like, what does the Bible command? And it was like conviction. Obviously, it was Francis. So Francis comes, you're just going to repent. Either way, that's just what he does. Like, you're like, I'm, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Silence. Yes, I repent. <laughs> well, I, that's, and, and I, I, I mean that sincerely and playfully, but that's what he brings, right? He brings uh, the heart of God. Restore us back to the heart of God. And, and the list was just from scripture. It was like, make disciples led by elders, filled with the Holy Spirit. And and there's this long, exhaustive list. Die to self, love one another, bear with one another. And it was just, and and I realized that I had never received an email about the strategy as a lead pastor to help you die well. (laughs) Nobody said, hey, Darren, what is your, actually one person in the history of our church came up to me and said, what is your strategy for making me more like Christ? And that man happened to be a disciple of Dallas Willard. So that makes sense. (laughs) So as we think about what we do as a church, there are four main things I just want to focus in on. And, And Michael already mentioned this, but I want you to just go real quick so you can see this. If you don't mind, if you would just go to your phone and download the Garden Church app. And when you download it, if you already have it, it's, you're going to see on the front page, there's going to be a sermon PDF, which I'll explain in a second. And right below that is this button called Discipleship. And then it will take you to a screen that says GardenChurch.life. And in GardenChurch.life, you're going to see four pillars. And these are the pillars, formation, presence, mission, and community. We have said, if you could break down the essence of a local church, there are four things that we believe are anchors for our community. It's uh, the intentional formation or discipleship, living the way of Jesus. It's the presence of God, living empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's living for God's purposes and partnering with God and seeing heaven on earth. It's living for his mission, that we are missional, we are, we are empowered, we are supernatural, empowered by the Spirit, we are disciples, and then we live as the family of God. These are the four things we want to resource everyone in here with. And now that you got the app, you can go and see, if you click Formation, On formation, I just want to show you this resource. There is a a list of courses. You can do the the 101 basics. You can do a baptism class. You can look at on here, it's how to read the Bible. It's an entire class with weeks that we borrow from the Bible Project on how to read the Bible. The prayer course we have access to. The Garden Rule of Life, where we did a series where there's 12 rules we want to teach you, and you, 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 you can do a course on it. Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Premarital Course, the Marriage Course, Internships, Leadership Courses, and then Books. This is just one of those four pillars. And why am I telling you this? Because I realize... Much of our life is we just want it to be as easy as possible. Um, But life is hard. 
And disciples of Jesus need to learn how to do hard things. And there is no way, and here's, I'm going to make this point in just a second. There is no possible way that you can, I, as a pastor trying to educate you, can ever compete with the kind of formation that's happening when you wake up in the morning and live your everyday life. We live in a formation machine. And unless you are intentional and choose to opt out of the default settings of cultural formation, you will be bent into the image of the world. And your task as followers of Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'll explain what that is in just a moment. So we have four pillars. Today we're looking at formation. Tomorrow or next Sunday, uh, we'll look at mission and witness. The following week, we'll look at presence and becoming a house of prayer. And then the last week, we'll look at community. And then we're going to jump back in to Ephesians. And then that will take us all the way up to uh, Christmas and we'll do Advent. Does that sound okay? Church, are you with me? It's been a while since I've preached, so I feel ready to go. I got a lot of content, which is why you got the the notes on your phone. So I'm going to make it as easy as possible, even though I'm saying let's do hard things. Can we pray? Um, Father, I'm so grateful to be with my family. Thank you for the the prayers that were extended my way as I rested and uh, got to be away. Thank you for the the ways you've covered our family, my personal, my local community while I was gone. I bless this church, and I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, you would just do what you love to do. And that's to love your kids. Uh, To, I think of Paul's prayer in Ephesians where he says uh, that the Holy Spirit would bring revelation. So I pray, Lord, your spirit would bring revelation inspired by you, God content, information that would bring about transformation of our souls, a total soul reformation, a renovation of mind, body, spirit, heart, and social capacities. I pray, Lord, for a love of the word of God and that you'd bless us today as we um, reorient ourselves around your vision in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6. All right, it says this. This is the shortest parable, I think, in the scriptures. Um, And if you've been to our church for a while, none of this content is new. All of it is old. So uh, you're getting a, a highlight of what we've taught for years. And it's one of those things that I believe needs to be taught every year um, because we forget. And so this is a parable about the vision that Jesus has for those who will be his disciples. Have you ever thought about the idea of what does Jesus dream of when he thinks about your life? Like if you were just to pause for a moment and think, what vision, what idea does Jesus have for my life? When he was creating, when his, when God's imagination for Darren Roundson, born August 4th, 1984. I just had my birthday. 30, 38 years ago, 38 years, holy moly. What hopes did he have? What sparked his, 
the Father's heart when he thought of me. Jesus gives us a glimpse, and he says this. He says, um, verse 39, he also told this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. All right, this is a parable, and let's talk about what's going on here. First of all, uh, the blind is a nod to Pharisees. Pharisees were religious leaders, the most popular religious leader, religious leaders of Jesus' time. They added 1,500-plus oral commands and, uh, and traditions to the 613 laws of the Old Testament. They were very legalistic and religious, and he, he regularly attacks the interpretation of the Torah that the Pharisees had. And he says, can the blind lead the blind? It's a nod um, to them. And he says, a, a student, which is the Greek word for disciple, is not above a master, which would be a rabbi. So right off the bat in the parable, we say he's, he's challenging the common way of interpreting the, uh, the Torah by the Pharisees. And then he says this line that, uh, that a, a disciple's not above his master, but every disciple that's fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, I know you've heard this before, but lean in. Jesus, let me get ready for this one. Write this one down. Jesus was a rabbi. Wow, yes. But that has incredible implications for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, so I know we love this Christian word because, oh, I said a prayer one time and now I can go and live my life the way I was living because I said this prayer and I got this fire insurance. Brothers and sisters, that is nowhere in the New Testament. In fact, I, I would say that that's prevented a lot of people from becoming Christian. Gandhi said, I would be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians, paraphrasing. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that as a rabbi, the goal, and this is for all rabbinic tradition, the goal of a rabbi is to make disciples. And the goal of the disciple is to, uh, as John Mark Comer has phrased, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to organize the resources and energies of your life so that you learn to be with Jesus, become like, what do I mean by become like? That I mean that you, without having to think about WWJD, because you have been formed over time and over a lifetime of being with him, you naturally permeate the very presence of God wherever you go. That the character you reflect to the world is the character of Christ. That you learn to be with him, you become like him and that you do the very things he did. All of it. 
which is why we talked about presence and empowered um, this last season is about how did Jesus do the things he did? He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've made this point over and over again. But your discipleship, what Jesus is saying is that for anyone that will come to follow him, his hopes and dreams are for you to become like him, to permeate the kind of presence he had on earth wherever he went. And Jesus believes that you can become like him. Jesus gives you both the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, and a model to follow so that you can be transformed from the inside out, that you will experience total personal revival and renewal. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, and I just want you to lean in for this verse, he says, now this, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, wow, you guys are really good at reading. Yes, it made it too far. Let's memorize this one, just this verse. Now, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Yes. How many of you need an amen? I need freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Anyone bound by addiction, anyone bound by ongoing defeat from ongoing sin that's here today. Anyone want to confess that real quick? Anyone want to raise their hand? Okay, I'm doing it all by myself. Amen, all by myself. That's fine. Don't need your participation in this moment. I know that I need the spirit of the Lord inside of me to bring about freedom. I have done discipline equals freedom by Jocko Willink. I've done this uh, stoic philosopher's approach to practices and I disagree with it full-heartedly because I know that no discipline can save me from myself. I know it requires. AA is a great example. The first step is to recognize you have no power to change. There has to be a higher authority. But there's this movement in the world right now of if we just have the right practice, the right habit, which we'll talk about in a second, that alone will say, it won't save you. The spirit of the Lord will bring about freedom. But then he goes on, and I love this, because in context, I don't have time to go through it, but it's this, he says, and it's, it's a reflection to Moses, and when Moses experienced the presence of God, Moses in the Old Testament had to be veiled, and it says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, so, this word transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis in Greek. Uh, it, it's this idea of a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. That, in fact, what I want to say to you is that Jesus' vision for your life is to become fully yourself. Not like the world says it, but like the way God intended it. That you become more alive the more you become like Jesus. You don't become more robotic and religious. You become what? more free. Do you see? That when the, when the Lord is Lord of your life and the Spirit indwells inside of you, you don't become more religious and focused on rules. Sure, you might give up freedoms for the sake of your brothers and sisters, for the sake of health and wholeness, for the sake of holiness, but you become more free. I don't want my kids to obey because they're afraid of me. 
I want them to obey because they know that my only intention is their very best. And that if they could trust the no, and then they can trust the yes. And they will learn through relationship that the father, their father means best. And then they could, without hesitation, choose life because they have been trained in an intentional family that wants them to be free and sovereign in their decisions. Does that make sense? So this is what Jesus desires, not for you to become a replica or a robot, but he desires life and wholeness in all of the things that he envisioned for you. And that will come through the presence of God, through learning the way of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has this great line, and I love this verse. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I will give you a rule. I will give you a book. No, when you come to Jesus, that first invitation is to rest. Anyone tired and weary and burdened? Anyone think 2022 has been real hard? Amen all by myself. I don't understand that how hard this year, I haven't realized until this last week how hard this year really was. And, and I'm, I, I spent a day or a part of a morning at this prayer chapel. I was in Forest Home with some families, experienced that for the first time. And I was at this prayer chapel writing down all the emotional burdens that I've carried since January 2020. And it took a couple of pages of my large notebook. And I don't write very large. It was just this, I need to, I, I haven't slowed down to process the weight of the last couple of years. And so many of you are moving so fast, you have no idea that the agitation you have is still the, the reflection of April 2020 when that disappointment was never fully realized. Jesus invites you first to come to him to get rest. It's like after Elijah defeats the prophets, I shared this story with my boys yesterday in the morning. We were reading a Bible story. I'm like, you gotta hear this great story. A fire comes down and the prophets all die. And ah, Elijah, yeah. They're like, yeah, I wanna read more stories like this. I'm like, there are not many of those. Um, the, the very next story is he, so I just can't imagine, but I can fire. And like, I was, I'm like, how many buckets of water to the, the 26 pound, you know, uh, uh, trench was full of water. I was like, you guys know how to build fires. Do you want water on top of the wood? No. And it, it just, the fire comes down and just takes it all. The burnt offering. Oh my gosh. Defeat the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asher. Yeah. Ah, Yahweh's God. The very next chapter. He hears that they want to kill him and he's terrified. He takes off running, weary. And I think Katya talked about this, but what does God do when he meets Elijah? Hey, here's some food. Take a nap. Do you see that the Jesus we might be following is made in the image of culture, not in the image of the New Testament? Come to me all your way. And then he says this, and this is so offensive. Take my yoke. Yoke? Yoke? Nobody wants a yoke. 
That's a work instrument. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke in the first century Palestine was a term to describe a rabbi's teaching. So rabbis would have disciples and they would say, hey, disciples, take my yoke upon you. Take my interpretation of the Torah, my way of life. There are uh, Rabbi Akiva who had disciples right before Jesus, a couple years before Jesus, uh, tell stories about how when he was following his rabbi, he followed him into the restroom because he didn't want to miss anything that his rabbi had. That was the mindset of disciples. There was a phrase, be, uh, be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea idea that you live with, with such proximity with your rabbi that the dust when they were walking would be covered on your clothes. Like that's the mindset of discipleship. And Jesus says, take my yoke, my way of teaching, my way of life, and it will, it will give, it, is, it, is, it will find rest for your souls and it is gentle, it is easy, and the burden is light. I love what Frederick Del Bruner says. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, I love this, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens, Amen to that. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to a sermon on the mount, his yoke, will develop us in a way, in a balance, in a way of caring life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Jesus is a rabbi, and he wants you to be his disciples. Do you know that Paul also was a rabbi? We don't think about this. We, don't, we, think about, we think of him as a church planner, as the apostle, as uh, this wild man who's telling, um, you know, he's on a shipwreck. He's on a ship as a prisoner. And I was reading this to the boys last night because this, this is the other story. I was like, oh, I got to find another fun one. And it's like, here's the prisoner directing the captain. It's all going to be okay. You, giving advice to the captain about whether or not to sail. I was like, this is amazing. And then he says, I love this. He's like, hey, you're all going to survive this crazy storm because I'm on board. <laughs> Think about how confident he was. He's like, I'm, I, God has a plan for my life. And you're all innocent bystanders that get to survive this horrible situation because I have to testify to Caesar. I mean, come on. Do you have that kind of perspective? Ah, that's, that's what he wants to develop. That you can be in prison shackled and right like Paul saying, I have learned contentment in all situations. Paul was a rabbi. Look at his writings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore I urge you to imitate me. And then he goes on to say, for this reason I sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, my disciple, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with that, uh, what I teach everywhere in every church. I just want to think about this. Paul's strategy for Corinth was, hey, I'm sending you my disciple. He will show you how I lived, 
which is what I teach everywhere I go. Imagine if your philosophy or if your strategy for discipleship was, hey, just come hang out at my house. You're going to catch this whole Christ thing. That's the strategy. That is plan A. There, there was no other strategy. There was no like, hey, let's get a stage and some fog machines. Let's get a really talented preacher and we'll bring the guy from work to sit next to me. And I'm so glad you're here if that's somebody did that to you and dra- dragged you here. But the way this whole thing is supposed to work is that your friend who brought you should just say, see how I live. It will be more than enough. And then when you say yes to this way, I have time and energy and resource to let you into my life because that's why I exist. I don't exist for my job. I don't exist for my family. I exist for Christ alone. And everything else, my job and my family, my finances, my time, my schedule, my social media, whatever it is, it all has to be renovated, reformed around this new relationship to Jesus. Because I'm a disciple. So Paul, Jesus' strategy was discipleship. Paul's Strategy was discipleship. Our strategy is discipleship. We use this word formation, discipleship. This idea of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. It's not a course. It's not a, 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 all right, let me just give you a rule of life to follow, and then you get it. No, no, no. It's an environment. It's a philosophy. It's a worldview. It's a way of looking at life and then reorganizing our life around the things that matter most. Um, Dallas Willard says spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So the, the spiritual formation, we'll say the word formation. I want to use the word formation on purpose. Formation, intentional formation, becoming more like Jesus is a process is a long-term strategy for the rest of eternity of organizing your soul in a way that begins to permeate and be more and more possessed with the character traits and qualities of Jesus, the risen Messiah. So for me, this is everything. This, This is why we do what we do as a community. This is why we have house churches. This is why we believe in remnant groups and missional communities. This is why we gather on Sunday to worship. This is why we pass a bucket. This is why we organize our, this is why right now we're not on social media because we're we're, we're trying to live in the digital age as disciples of Jesus. And what I have to say to you, it's probably been, there's been no uh, harder time in history than now in Western context to follow Jesus. And I'm saying that confidently because every time there's persecution, the church explodes. It grows. It fails when they live in abundance. Um, Walter Brueggemann said, uh, abundance breeds amnesia. And we forget who we are. And, and, and the reason I think it's so hard today 
um, is for lots of reasons. Number one, you have habits that have been formed over a lifetime in the Western context. You have a worldview that's been shaped over a lifetime by your family, by culture, by your experience and context. You have an enemy, the Satan, the devil, and all of the kingdom of darkness who is relentless in working against your transformation of becoming like Jesus because he knows that when you experience the glory of Christ in your life, he has no power. And so he is working against you in so many ways, which we'll talk about. And um, you are living in an environment that I already said is a formation machine. In other words, what I believe, the reason it's so hard today is you are being discipled by the world like never before. And let me explain this to you. Mark Sayers says in his book, um, Reappearing Church, our current Western context deforms our hearts and lives in profoundly destructive ways, big business, big data, and big porn's ability to reshape our inner worlds is unparalleled in human history. Therefore, the next great awakening, the next renewal of the coming revival must be centered on the heart's being changed by God. It must begin by replacing the pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement. That's exactly the problem. Pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement with the spirit-filled faith of biblical Christianity. It must offer the renewal of Christ-likeness to those being deformed by our culture and the deepest parts of our hearts. What he says is this, Mark's saying this, we live in a context where we're being shaped, formed by industries that have an ability like never before because of technology to change our inner world and habits. In the documentary, The Social Dilemma, it shows how an entire social media industry, which is built on advertisement profit companies, can with certainty and precision affect our moods, thoughts, behaviors, and decisions. You have the most sophisticated algorithms and powerful technologies, billions of dollars, these mass, just imagine this giant machine pointing at you with precision and accuracy and intentionality with its desire to change and alter your mood, your thoughts and behaviors. Never have we ever been more easily formed into an image than right now. And look, I understand the phone is, you could say it's neutral. And I don't know how you can say that anymore. <laughs> Everything on this thing is desired for your addiction, right? And so we're talking about that. Oh, well, oh, Darren, you know, I'm not, it's not that bad. Well, okay, let's just talk about this for a second. Um, there's a study that came out from Facebook's internal message board, and this was published in the Wall Street uh, Journal. And it said that 32% of teen girls said that when they, uh, they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made that worse, and then they said, uh, for the past three years, Facebook has been doc, uh, doc conducting studies into how its photo sharing app affects Instagram, affects its millions of young users. Repeatedly, the company researchers found that Instagram is harmful for a sizable percentage of them, most notably teenage girls. And I quote, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. 2019, summarizing research about teen girls who experience the issues, teens blame Instagram for the increased rate of anxiety and depression. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't know how to explain this to you, but Instagram, TikTok, social media, YouTube, uh, Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, HBO Max, Paramount, Peacock, 
all of these things, your emails, your access to Amazon Prime, all of these things have the most sophisticated algorithms and artificial intelligence that are bending you into its image. And so you step onto, you're like, well, you know, I follow all these people. If, if you lean towards the left and you follow left activists, your feed will be shaped by left activists. If you lean towards the right and you follow right conservative people, your entire worldview will be shaped and curated around this world. And so no wonder we're so divided that we, we think everyone should think this way, everyone should think this way, and then we don't know how to talk to each other because every word, holy cow, is a trigger word because the enemy is using your emotions to guide your life and the culture says the thing inside of you is your, your true self has to be protected by the state. Don't let anyone disagree. So we cancel anyone. We stop following. We, we, we can't believe they would say that thing about this kind of group of people or we can't believe that you would support this position. And so we just fight. And what we don't realize is that we're swimming in this formation. And the only way out is to choose to not be formed by it. It's to opt out. I'm going to, they're like, well, I, I spread the gospel on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm giving out positive vibes on TikTok. I believe 20 years from now, we will look at TikTok and Instagram influencers, the way that our current church looks at TBN. We'll be like, that is so silly. Like, I cannot believe you're, you know, like it, 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 we won't make, it won't make sense. We'll see, there will be reports down the road where our, our grandkids, my grandkids will be like, I can't believe you had unrestricted access to the internet. Do you know that China shuts off TikTok at 10 p.m.? Well, it's a, it's a communist totalitarian state who made the app and knows it's for addiction. Why, how, how, if we're going to compete as countries, let's just get everyone doing, you know, dance videos with cats while we raise up a military, like whatever it is. It's just like, do you not see the enemies just winning? Where am I going? Okay, okay, we're good. <laughs> If you're just becoming aware of this power, what do you do? How do you resist the forces of the world that are shaping you into its image? And the fruit of the world is anxiety, depression, and burnout, and anger, and disappointment, and hopelessness, and despair, and fear. It creates a culture of fear which produces um, a, 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 a culture of control. And Jesus creates a culture of love, which produces a culture of freedom. And so as we recognize this, um, I want to give you this, and it's on our app, but I want to just give you a familiar thing. This has been adapted from John Mark's slides, John Mark Comer, um, but he also adapted this from, um, he adapted this from Dallas Willard. So it should say unintentional formation. Um, and so, but it's okay. And, and this is what it says, unintentional formation so this is, when you wake up in the morning, this is the formation machine you are in. These are, this is how you develop to become the kind of person that you are. And number one is it starts with the stories you believe. 
narratives that you've adopted. And those narratives can be large. It could be your family narratives, that your, your value came from what you did. It can be cultural, the country you were raised from. If you grew up in, um, like I was talking to somebody who uh, grew up in eastern um, part of Europe, and his, his view of communism is so uh, dark and scary that he can't imagine. He, and years ago, he was, we'd have these debates, and he was just telling me, like, you don't understand what it looks like f- being from there. He's an older man. And what I'm seeing now in the U.S., and I was just like, I had no clue what he was saying. I'm like, yeah, okay, because I grew up in Southern California. And my understanding is just ideas from a book. He's like, no, they stole everything. My, my, I knew so many people that were in prison for being Christian, and he was just talking about it openly. And so the stories you believe, and, it, and it's deeper. It could be about insecurity. It could be about the American dream. It could be about money. All these ideas are being forced upon us. So I just watched Thor, Love, and Thunder. I, I think it's fascinating. Again, another example of a Marvel, Marvel film that's obsessed with gods in the afterlife. And what is the purpose in this epic battle? And it comes down to what at the very end? Love. It's like all we can do right now to get the world's attention is to recreate the Christ story. Love and self-sacrifice, great, I've seen it. I've seen, I've read the real one here. You don't need to play it again on Star Wars or some Marvel comic. Or, like what you don't realize is we're being taught these ideas and we're, give, we're, we're being given these narratives and, and they're overwhelming us with every show, with everything. So it's not about, it's not, about not um, watching these things all the time. It's about recognizing they have power that you have a view of the world that's been shaped and it's being intentionally formed by all sorts of things, including the enemy. You with me? Um, let's go through these quick. So um, second would be habits. So you wake up and you have unintentional habits that shape who you are. Some say um, that, uh, what's this line? It says, the things we do do something to us because our habits get to the core of our being and they shape our loves and our longings. We are little more than the accumulation of our daily and weekly habits. And so you wake up and you check your phone, you scroll through social media, you wake up and you make coffee and you watch the news or you get in the car and you put on NPR. Like all of our habits shape us. You stay up late watching shows and then you don't wake up early to read scripture. How on earth will you compete with the formation machine if you don't read the Bible? Like, you'll be on your phone, you'll touch it 240 times a day, an average person over three hours a day. That has more power in your life than the Spirit at times. Just my reflection on my personal journey with this stuff. So um, you got to move from habits. We'll talk about intentional in a second. Relationships, the second, or the third piece of this is you are shaped by the people you spend time with. So who are your friends? Who are your coworkers? Who has influence into your life. There's a lot of people we don't get to choose. That's okay. But we need to move from just unintentional relationships to something else. Lastly, uh, the, the environment we live in, the culture we live in all shapes us. And I would say there's two forms of culture shaping us. It is a place we live. There's a, a clear uh, stronghold over Southern California. Long Beach has its unique principalities. I'm not saying that jokingly. Because I go to Orange County, I go to Costa Mesa and Newport, and they have a very different set of principalities. Similar, but stronger. I'm not joking. 
you can, you can, if you become, um, I don't know how to say it. You can become aware of spiritual dynamics in the atmosphere if you are a disciple of Jesus. And it's not a weird thing, like, oh, I got weird vibes. No, there's a demonic presence here, and that thing needs to go. That's doing what Jesus would do, right? Um, and so we're shaped by the, both local context we live in, neighborhood, family, country, Orange County, L.A. County, Long Beach, and we're shaped by the digital atmosphere, the digital culture we live in. The algorithms that are curated on your phones are also. So we move from unintentional formation to intentional formation. So this is what we do. We have to replace each of these things. And brothers and sisters, this is a lot, but we've done a series, 12-part series on just this stuff in the past. And all of the teaching that we have on, on the resources on formation on our app are going to help you develop these things. So you have to replace the unintentionality with an intentional spiritual formation. Or I would like to say, when we talk about formation, we're talking about counter-formation. So our default setting is going in this direction, and we need to challenge that and move a different direction. So we take captive our thoughts. It starts with the narratives we believe. We replace the false narratives with true biblical narratives. So what does the Bible say about money? What does the Bible say about sexuality? What does the Bible say uh, about our bodies, about caring for the poor, about identity, about food, alcohol? How do we replace the bad thoughts, the things that are impacting us that are lies, and be transformed? through the renewing of our mind. It takes uh, our participation with God to bring to light and revelation the things that are holding our bodies and minds, our souls captive in our beliefs. Are you guys with me on this? Are you guys already tired? Are you guys done? No. Want me to finish this trying? Okay, some of you are glazed over. It's hot. I get it. I'm sweating. I got lights on me. I got dark clothes and pants. I should be wearing flip-flops. We should be in a pool. Um, Sermon on the Mount Practice, I was just cool myself off. Uh, the second is we replace unintentional habits with practices. So um, you have to learn how to do the things that Jesus did. We've talked about this so much, I'm not going to go over it. But you replace uh, the unintentional habits with spiritual disciplines. So you have to learn how to practice the things that Jesus practiced so that you can get living and loving right. Um, practices over a lifetime. So we fast, we pray, we read scripture, not because we feel like it, but because we do the things that Jesus did in our long journey of becoming more like Jesus. And Dallas Willard would say that the secret to the easy yoke is adopting the overall lifestyle of Jesus. That we can't expect to say this prayer and live our life the way we are living it. We have to connect with God in relationship and now learn to adopt his lifestyle and whatever that looks like. The, last, uh, the third piece is community. So if you want to experience discipleship, again, this is describing the environment of discipleship. We replace relationships with covenantal community. Uh, relationships are self-selected based on preference. But as followers of Jesus, we don't get to choose uh, who follows Jesus alongside us. We don't follow Jesus alone. We follow, follow Jesus with intentional community. So we want every one of you to be in some type of covenant community, house church, missional community, remnant group. I, I, at this point, I don't want to control it. Just be life with people who aren't just talking about 
the same things, but are helping you become more like Christ, the person you were designed to be. Does that make sense? So we replace unintentional relationships with covenant community. Lastly, we move from being influenced, informed by environment and culture around us to living in the Holy Spirit, living in Christ, being empowered by the presence of God, whose goal is to bring about transformation of your life and the transformation of culture. Let me just say this. All of this stuff is going to happen over a long period of time. There's no such thing as Amazon Prime Christ-likeness. You can't microwave it, right? There's not a four-hour Christ-likeness or whatever it is that you want to be. Um, This will take all of eternity. And let me say one more thing. In our comfort culture, we avoid pain at all costs. But what I've realized and what the scriptures teach is that the hard knocks of life or suffering, suffering's like the CrossFit gym of Christ-likeness. It is the gymnasium of becoming like Jesus. When hard things are thrown at you, those are the, those are the, those are pri- the primary windows of becoming more like Jesus. It's not, the, the, the idea of like reading your Bible with a pour over coffee in a coffee shop is your way of practicing the way of Jesus. Just, just throw that out the window. That's great. It's gonna come through suffering, health crisis, losing that job, divorce, bankruptcy. It's gonna come when something, somebody falls off a rock and fractures their elbow and all of a sudden your plans are ruined for a week. Not that that's specific, like it happened Monday. Like my son, 30 minutes into being at this, this camp on Monday, which is designed for kids to roam free, to go on the blob, to go down water sides, to play in the lake, to climb a, climb a ropes course. 30 minutes into the first session, falls, gets a concussion. He has to get stitches, breaks his elbow, and they thought he would need surgery. Alex spends the entire day at the ER. And how did I respond? Not very well defeated. I can't, let's go home for two days. It was Wednesday. It was August 3rd. I'm like, morning, I wake up, I packed everything. I'm like, I can't stay here. I'm done. (laughs) This is it. We kept, for whatever reason, we just stayed. And then we had this moment with our friends who were there. And I just, I was just, I'm like, I hate what's going on. I'm miserable. This sucks. I'm so disappointed. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Alex and I are fighting. Our kids, Amos is out of control. Ezra's got the best attitude and he's got a cat. He's got a sling on. And, and then my friends just spoke life. This is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. This is true. This is why we're here. Let's pray. And it was like a, a heavy burden was just taken off. But I realized that it took it took all of that stuff, the pressure, to finally show up to my friends and say, I'm not doing very well. Anyone want to say amen to that? Amen. All to say, if you want to follow Jesus, there is a way. And it involves your entire life. And we want to help you as a local church. I, as a local church pastor, want to give account to God saying, I did what you said. And it requires you jumping in to be a disciple, not just a Christian. And it ends with this, um, with Dallas Willard. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today 
with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. So will you be a disciple? That's the question I want you to answer. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.